announcements. We had a little break last week. It's been two weeks since we kicked off this series that, that we're entitling Living in Remembrance. And I feel it's important to take about the first five or ten minutes, even though we have a bit of a shorter session, to remind us of that first session because in the first session we talked about the true meaning of the word remembrance. Because if we don't understand what Christ said, for example, St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, that Jesus, on the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is My body which is, give, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same manner, He took the cup. After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. This do as oft as you shall drink it in remembrance of Me. If we don't understand the word remembrance, then we can't understand what truly is one of the most significant, and I would say the hub of our faith. To live a life that is in remembrance, where the centrality of the existence of God's people as one people who gather together in shared faith, in shared spirit, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, come together and Jesus meets with us. We talked about this word remembrance. And one of the things that we did, the Greek word, of course, remembrance being anamnesis. Remember that from a couple weeks ago. Anamnesis is the word. And when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, if you remember the Connollys who aren't here so we can make fun of them this morning for what they did two weeks ago. <laughs> but I brought the Connollys up and I asked them, do me a favor and remember for us your wedding. You remember that? Some of you weren't here, so you weren't able to hear it. It was funny. <laughs> and it was fun. But it was an exercise in our common thinking on this word remembrance. Because what they did is they stood right over here. And they started bringing back to mental recollection something that had happened years and years and years ago and shared it with us. And although what they shared from that remembrance of something that happened so long ago gave us this but a glimpse of that day. So we were at least able to share in part of that experience that they had. Okay? That's the way we typically think of remembrance. And you may remember I mentioned that had they had their wedding album, they probably would have shown it to us. So now we have some visuals to go along with something that happened years and years and years ago, a bit of that, menace, a bit of that experience in the present. But if you remember, I said, if you went to someone in Christ's time who heard the word anamnesis, remember, do you remember your wedding? Remember, I set them up in front as if I was the priest, which I am. And I set them up in front as if we were going to reenact the service. And this is what would have happened in Jesus' time. They would have gathered as many people together. If you could, they would have taken you to the place. Because the word remembrance brings to take something that happened in the past and grant it for a re-experience in the present. I want to say that again. Taking something that happened in the past, the Lord's Supper, when He gave us the Eucharist and said, This is me, my body and my blood. That something that happened over 2,000 years ago that every time God's people would gather, 
It becomes fully present for the self-same experience of fellowship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and Lamb of God whose blood was shed that we take. This is remembrance. And if you remember also, this is the last thing I want to cover as far as our remembering what happened two weeks ago, is that word anamnesis. Anybody remember what the opposite word in the Greek was? Because we learned the word by looking at the opposite. What's the opposite? Amnesia. Which is what? Amnesia. That is the exact profound opposite. And we talked about what someone that has amnesia goes through. Okay? To understand that, we understand anamneses. Because people who have anamnesia, they don't remember, they completely forget. And we took an extreme case of amnesia where someone has forgotten everything. And, we, and I asked you, what kind of things do they forget? And you told me they forget people, they forget places, they forget experiences. Everything from the past is gone. It's taken from out underneath them. And because of that, I shared with you that someone with amnesia... Someone with amnesia experiences heightened senses of anxiety and loneliness in their life. Anxiousness because when they first come out of whatever, they don't even know where they are. They don't know who they are. They don't know anyone around them. Wouldn't that make you anxious? It's totally, every, everything in life is foreign to them. We went one step further because studies have shown that people who have amnesia suffer from a great extent of, a, of an identity crisis. They no longer have any sense of stability in knowing who they really are. Think about it. Why? Remember, because everything of who we are is made up of every experience we have had in the future, in the past. Every relationship that we have had. Things that we have had poured into us. Okay? And so they suffer identity crisis. And therefore, when we look at anamnesis, remembrance, it's as if where one with amnesia forgets relationships and experience. In anamnesis, when God's people gather together and Christ is present and makes Himself present and feeds us Himself by grace. Those who forget relationships and experience in remembrance, Christ manifests the real and true relationships of all of us. Our relationship with Him is one, but that's not all. Our relationship together as Christians, His unified body, every living stone, remember what St. Peter said, every living stone being built together. And all of a sudden we know These people, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Christians that are around us. Where one with amnesia experiences anxiety and restlessness and loneliness, one who encounters remembrance with Christ present and His body with Him, they experience rest. Peace is restored. Sense of belonging because of the adoption that we've been given in our Lord Jesus Christ is restored. And where one with amnesia experiences identity crisis. Remember, identity crisis means I don't know who I am. That by the very experience of the presence of Christ, as we join together and not just with one another and our Lord, but with all of heaven joined together in the worship of God, we learn and see and understand and experience our true identity. Because our true identity is the likeness of God and the image of God. And so rather than forgetting who we are, we become who we are. 
and we know who we are and whose we are. All in those moments. This is exactly what St. Paul means. And here, here we begin some of the newer things. What St. Paul meant when he said in his second letter to the church of Corinth, chapter 3, he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Now notice the wording. But we all, with unveiled face, we're going to learn what this means. We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God. First of all, get that picture. If I stood in front of you, like I'm doing right now, with a mirror facing you, when you look at me, who do you see? Your true you. We with unveiled face... Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. That's our true identity. Our true selves. Okay? Now, who knows where this idea... Paul's drawing from something in the Old Testament. Who knows where this idea of having an unveiled face reflecting the glory of God comes from? Yes. Comes from Moses. Comes from Moses. Right. Uh, Jillian, do you have some more about that? I didn't say Moses, but... Yeah, when he came up to Mount Sinai, when he went to Mount Sinai. But let's remember the story, because the story is critical for us to understand based on what Paul's saying. God didn't invite Moses to go out to Mount Sinai. He invited all of God's people to go up to the mountain, to ascend the mountain, to come to the mountain, to experience God in all of his glory. That was the invitation. In fact, there was this, God told Moses, Moses have people consecrate themselves. And then on the third day, go over to the mountain and there God was going to meet with his people. And so this is exactly what they do. They get themselves ready. They get to the face of the mountain. And here's what they encounter. They encounter at the top of the mountain the glory of God, the brilliance of God, the cloud that took to the top of the mountain. They heard God's voice like thunder. And it scared them. And so instead of accepting the invitation to come to the mountain and hear from God and experience God, what did they do? They point to Moses and say, Moses, you go. There's definitely comedy in that if you really think about it. You go first. Right? But they were so afraid at beholding God. The same God that delivered them. The same God that kept them. (coughs) The same God. They had so much fear at the sight of Him and hearing Him. They said, Moses, you go and represent us. Whatever He tells you, come back and tell us. And that's what we're going to do. And so it was. Moses went up to the mountain. And when Moses went up to the mountain... He was in direct communion with God. And God, we told with the finger of God, wrote the Ten Commandments on the side of the mountain and gave him the tablets. But here's what Moses didn't know. When he was coming down from the mountain, he had no idea that from being in the presence of God, that being in the glory of God at the top of that mountain, 
that when he came down, his face was shining. It was radiating with the glory of God. And before he came, as he was coming down, before he got all the way back down to the people, he saw Aaron. And Aaron told him about it. So when he went to talk to the people, he veiled his face. The people were already frightened. And so in order for them to receive what God had to offer through Moses, he veiled his face to douse the glory. And so the people would not be afraid of him when he came down. We with unveiled faces. Not like Moses. Notice what it says too. It doesn't say you with unveiled face. It's, he's talking to the entirety of the church. He says, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Where the people of God, when they came to Mount Sinai, in an unhealthy, immature fear of God, laid everything to Moses and turned away. Because of our Lord Jesus Christ, we all now come to the same mountain. We all come to gather together. And we don't turn away and say, let the priest do it. Because this priest is not going to do it for you. I lead the way up the mountain. That's the role of the priest. We all go. Huh? And so we gather together. And when we gather, we come to behold Christ. For He is infinitely present with us. And just as He said in John chapter 6... This is my body, this is my blood. He talked about bringing the bread of heaven. He who eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life within him. You know, when he spoke those words with such language, so literal sense that Jesus used, he lost the majority of his disciples that day because they thought he was talking about cannibalism. And that was against the very law that that he was come to fulfill. You've heard me say this before. I kind of think that those that stuck with Christ when it came to the Lord's Supper and He said, this is my body, this is my blood, they went, that's what He meant. (laughs) Now I get it. Now I get it, but it's real. And He makes Himself present and graces us with Himself. We stand when we gather. And you'll hear me say we gather many times this morning in the last 10 to 15 minutes we have together. When we gather... It is the fulfillment of Israel. When we gather, we come to the base. We start, we come to the base of the mountain, and we journey up in everything that we do in the liturgy. It is a journey of ascension. Which is why the churches have always been designed, even the house churches that they excavate, were always designed where the altar was a few steps up. The idea of ascension was always in the church. Because now the church is the that, that that sacred space is Mount Sinai for the Christian fulfilled. And so we with unveiled faces, we all with unveiled faces, 
reflecting the glory of God are being transformed by that experience from glory to glory. We talked about the fact that we were going to begin like we're doing today. This whole journey through living in remembrance, we have to start with the liturgy. Because if you remember what I said last week, the liturgy is the hub. It is of the, all the spokes of our faith. Because it is the one place where you're going to hear Father Alexander Schmemann in just a few minutes, so I'll get you more information about in a few moments. Father Alexander Schmemann says that when we all gather together, and the church has always believed, even from its earliest days, that when it gathers together, it gathers together with heaven and earth. With that sacred space and sacred time, we step, we step by grace into the worship described in Revelation. Now let me ask, I want to ask you a question not to be answered. Don't even nod. I just want you to consider something. So if when, when we gather together in this sacred space, we gather together and we come together, are we even thinking that that's what we're about to enter into? Do we keep that in the forefront of our minds? That when you get in your car and drive to church, or even when you're getting ready at home, that I am coming to gather together with God's people at Mount Sinai, with heaven and earth, to fulfill the role, the vocation of the royal priesthood, the holy nation. This needs to be in our hearts and minds. It is truth. St. Peter, our own patron saint, speaks of this incredibly when he calls us a royal priesthood. Your vocation by virtue of your baptism and being filled with the Holy Spirit is to gather together. And when you gather together to fulfill the role of the priest and the role of the priest in the Old Testament... And all the way through in the role of our great high priest, the role is to make offering. They make offerings to God. And what is it that the royal priesthood, the holy nation, offers to God every time we gather? What do we offer? I'm sorry? Ourselves. Ourselves. Yes, somebody said prayer. That's absolutely accurate. We also offer bread and wine. I'll get to that in just a minute. But we gather together to fulfill the priesthood's calling. And that is a far cry different than what has infiltrated so many Christian churches where everything gets more and more reduced to the individual experience. See, Paul didn't say, the Apostle Paul didn't say, out of one loaf you've been broken into many. He said out of many pieces you've been made one. The exact opposite. Now we all know, I want you to understand this. In our faith, we believe completely in the individual experience of Christ when we come as each individual living stones. We're not doing away with that. But it's become so much greater when we gather together to worship Christ. Because when we gather together, we come in as those living stones. But what does Peter say about the living stones? You don't stay an individual living stone. You're put together with the whole. And you become that royal priesthood. Okay? Father Alexander Schmemann. Father Alexander Schmemann. 
both in Orthodox and non-Orthodox theological certain uh, circles, is is the, the one of the premier theologians on understanding sacramental theology. Because we're talking about sacramental theology. Remember what a sacrament is. God takes something of the stuff of earth that he created. He blesses it, sets it aside, makes it holy, and does the wonders of heaven through it. So the bread and the wine, the oil, the waters of baptism. Let's go even further. Your flesh and blood that he takes. He created you. He fills with himself. He set you aside to be holy with the desire to do the wonders of the kingdom of God through you. Father Alexander Schmemann is just one of the one of the top. Uh, I can't remember when he passed, whether it was in the '60s or the '70s. Um, but Father Alexander Schmemann wrote, and I'm going to suggest to you a couple of books. One is called the Eucharist. Father Alexander Schmemann, the Eucharist. And the other book that I would suggest to you is Father Alexander Schmemann wrote a book called For the Life of the World. It talks so that book talks about Christ's offering of himself to us, but it also the fact that as the royal priesthood we come and when we offer, we are offering ourselves in becoming like Christ also for the life of the world. Okay? But Father Alexander Schmemann, I like how he talked about the gathering of God's people because he called it the sacrament of the assembly. The sacrament of the gathering. In fact, Father Alexander Schmemann, in the book, The Eucharist, he said, The assembly, that is the coming together of the body of Christ, is the first liturgical act of the Eucharist. Its foundation and its beginning. There can't be Eucharist without the coming together. No priest, you might find this interesting, no priest can celebrate Eucharist by himself. It's not allowed because it's not Eucharist. The foundation of the Eucharist is when all of us, living stones filled with the Holy Spirit, when we gather together, now we have the foundation. Now we have the temple that's been constructed and you are the pieces. And that's what he says about that. And he says this. He says that the church gathers together to manifest the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Think about that. All of us gather together to manifest the kingdom of God in heaven. Revelation, what we talk about, the magnificence, the angelic, everything you can think about that you see in Revelation. what, What are some of the things that you remember from that picture of worship in heaven? that we talked about before in Revelation. What do you know about it? What do you see? Tell me some things you see in that worship. What? Huh? Cherubim and the seraphim around the throne. Yeah, throwing crowns down front of them. The elders laying down their crowns at the throne. Yeah, beautiful. Thousands of thousands, ten thousands of ten thousands all gathered together. What's going up before the throne? Incense. Absolutely. And the incense represents the prayers of God's people, we're told even in Revelation. uh, St. John the Apostle was given that by the one showing him that. This is the picture that we have. And when we gather together, it is our Lord's desire to manifest His kingdom in the earth. 
in the gathering of God's people where Christ is present is where the kingdom of God is most realized on earth. It's the very reason why in the Old Testament, think about it. Remember, God designed the Old Covenant temple with a mirror image of what was going on in heaven. The same vision that Isaiah got, the same vision that St. John the Apostle would get, This has been a consistency in the worship of God throughout God's people. That the worship on earth mirror, show forth the glory of, realize, manifest the kingdom of God in heaven in our midst. So that we can experience it. Father Alexander Schmemann said this. He said, St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, When you assemble as a church, in the minds of the earliest Christians, they assembled for the purpose to reveal and to realize the kingdom of God, he said. What does he mean by that? Two things. One I just said. We assemble to manifest, make known, make visible what is invisible. Make visible the kingdom of God among us. That's, that is where, uh, when he talks about revealing the church. But what does it mean to realize the church? It means this. God knows that we live in what we always say is both the now and the not yet at the same time. Every one of us living stones is in that journey in our life in Christ of finding healing in the illness of our soul where sins are falling away, we're becoming more like Christ. So we are in the process of, for example, of realizing in our own flesh and blood what it means to be a Christian. So in the same way when we worship... When heaven and earth join together, yes, the manifest reality of the kingdom of God is there, but it's also there to heal us. Because we are realizing throughout this time that we're in, we're becoming more as a church the kingdom of God on earth so that we leave from this place and take it with us. You know, something interesting about the assembly. In the early church, right now, by the way... You, the procession, okay? What do you see in the procession at the beginning of, of liturgy? What's present there? The cross. The cross. Incense. Incense. Candles. Candles. Music. Sorry? Music. Music. The order of... The clergy. Yep, the clergy. We all come in and walk and process in between you. But I want you to know where that comes from because that has everything to do with what we're talking about today. In the early church, and this did not last for very long because the church spread and grew rapidly. But in the early church when people would gather, the entirety of the church would meet outside the church with the bishop or, as the church continued to spread and the bishop couldn't be in multiple places, the priests that were there in his stead. That's still the same way it works. But they would all meet outside of the church. And once, this could never happen in Orthodoxy today because we would never get started. <laughs> but, but they met outside the church and led by the priest. <coughs> They all came in together. We have gathered. That sense of gathering was profound. We do experience that once a year. Pascha. Remember in Pascha, no one is in the nave. 
Everyone is in the narthex and outside the doors as we do the blessing of the Paschal candle. And then we turn and led by the light of Christ, the light of his resurrection, we all come in together, proclaiming the light of Christ, thanks be to God. Right? That's the only sense we have of that left. But in the early church, they all did that. Now, obviously, that became impractical, which is why you see the procession as it is today. But what I want you to lock into is this. When you see the procession, you are to realize the gathering. That is the sign to us that we have come. Not just you have come. Now you are joined with all of us. And we all begin that ascension to the most holy place. Where we behold God, we receive from God, and our lives are transformed by that experience again and again. That's where the remembrance is always continued. The greater experiences along the way, shaping our lives and making us like Christ. I'm going to share with you one last thing because I think it's very important. Where is that? It was from Father Alexander Schmemann. Give me one second. No, I'm sorry. It's St. John Chrysostom. St. John Chrysostom in uh, the 300s or the 4th century, he said this, and this talks to the gathering, but also who's awaiting us. He said, The church is a house common to us all, and you, O Lord, are awaiting us when we enter. I'm going to say that one more time, and I pray this stays with you. The church is a house common to all, and you, O Lord, are waiting us when we enter. How would it change our lives, the way we think about preparing to come and gather, to place ourselves with one another? How would it change if we absolutely had in our minds what St. John Chrysostom said? The church is a house for us all, and Christ, you are waiting for us when we enter. How might we enter? Would our minds be with greater focus, with a longing for the healing that He has to offer, but also a longing to offer ourselves and to offer our worship for everything that He's done for us? If we truly kept that in the forefront of our mind, that, Lord, you are waiting for us in that sacred space where you create sacred time and do sacred things for the salvation of man. I'm going to close with a statement from Father Alexander Schmemann. In the liturgy, because we talked about the fact, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, in the liturgy is everything to the core Christian existence. It's all there. It's all there. Father Alexander Schmemann said, In the liturgy, everything we do has for its content our praise, our repentance, our thanksgiving, our communion, and we are united to one another who become partakers in the communion of the Holy Spirit. The liturgy is experienced as the gathering together of heaven and earth and all creation in Christ, which constitutes the essence and purpose of the church. The worship of the church must be seen as the union of the visible and invisible worlds. As the manifestation and presence of the new and transfigured creation. 
the entire church, the entire assembly, with all its ranks, prophets, apostles, martyrs, saints, angels, ascend to heaven, elevated and lifted up by Christ to His table in the kingdom. That's the worship of Christ in spirit and truth. Where we're going to go from here. Next week, being the first of the month, we always like to do a Great Commission focus. We'll get back to this the week after, but when we do, we're going to talk about preparing. And I hope to enrich you with some some good understanding of how you might go about preparing, and not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout every day of the week. Preparing for the gathering. For heaven and earth to join with our Savior and be saved. Let's stand.